Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Shared Ireland podcast. So I suppose the last podcast we um, put out was from um, Hannah, the Northern Witch. Um, Hannah um, hailed from a PUL community and um, it got a lot of interesting feedback and I think it went down very well and I suppose now what we in the Shared Ireland platform want to do is um, focus for a little while on giving you, our listeners, the ordinary people like ourselves a voice and kinda, we've done a lot of conversations with politicians and academia so now we want to open up the conversation a little bit more get everyone's opinions, get everyone involved um, you can come on, so please don't be afraid to DM us um, if you would like to come on, there's not an issue at all um, we can... You know, you can come on as um, an anonymous person, basically, because um, with social media being what it is, it can be a very toxic and hostile place. And I suppose we appreciate that, that um, people, uh, given their um, views and opinions, can um, maybe come back uh, on them and their family. But today's guest is uh, a young gentleman um, by the name of Dermot Hamill. He's from South Armagh. And he's 17. Dermot um, made contact with us behind the scenes and was eager to come on and um, voice his opinions. And um, I suppose from our point of view in Shared Ireland, hearing somebody of 17, and I don't mean to sound patronising here, but brave enough to come on and, and give their opinions, you know, that's exactly the sort of people that we want to hear. Because this image of grey suited stuffy old men sitting around um, tables making decisions for the rest of our futures um, is something that we have to try and get away from and um, it's with great pleasure that I want to say welcome to the Shared Ireland podcast. Dermot how are you? Uh, well thank you for having me I'm great how are you? All good thanks. Um, now if people could actually see us now we're sitting in my car um, because there's no real hotels open um, where we are here <laughs> and it's 25 degrees I've got the air conditioning on so we'll, we'll try and struggle through this Dermot, um, always start off each podcast by um, getting our guests to outline a little bit about who they are their family background just for the benefit of our listeners so away you go in your own words uh, Well I'm 17, I'm from South Armagh I come from a bit of a nationalist community I am the chief editor of Youth Voice NI a podcast and blog giving young people a voice in politics You're chief editor of what? Uh, Youth Voice NI Youth Voice NI, okay And it's a podcast and we interview politicians and young people and try and kind of give everyone a voice and, and just on the Youth Voice NI, did you set it up and what is its, I suppose, aims and objectives? Well, yeah, it's, I set it up in December now and it's just it's more or less making sure young people are heard, making sure our voices are heard and making sure that young people can actually make that bit of change because from my experience, young people aren't listened to and that needs to change in my opinion. Okay, we'll get back to that in a wee second. Um, just continue, if you don't mind, giving me a little bit more about your background and where you grew up, etc. Well, I go to St Coleman's College in Newry. I've it's a grammar, a Catholic grammar school. It, uh, I went to St Oliver's Kerkrovati whenever for primary school. I come from Newton Hamilton. I think I said that already, but. Uh, 
and yeah, uh, I, I used to play football, I don't anymore, uh, I play guitar, and I'm really running out of stuff to say about myself now. That's quite all right. Yeah, you've covered quite a bit there. So I suppose the first question that springs to mind is, you set up Youth Voice, is it? Yeah. NI. What, they're, they're, most 17-year-olds that I know aren't interested in politics, really. Um, now, quite a few are, obviously, but, you know, what has, um, what made you go down this road and what sparked your interest in this sort of thing? Well, I think it was the 2014 local elections. I was only nine or ten at the time. And at the time we were studying Stormont in primary school and we got a trip up to Stormont and we met a couple of MLAs and I was just... Who who were the MLAs you met? Uh, it was Dominic Bradley, the SCLP. He's retired now. And it was Mickey Brady of Sinn Féin, who's now an MP. And, you know, they asked us who was going to be an MLA and I, you know, put my hand up being the only one in the class. You know, we tiny five or not five about four foot ginger we fell it down saying how he's going to be an MLA and it was just from there and you know, we watched the debate in the chamber and I think it was only about like quad safety or something like that we just it was from there and it was every year every time there's an election I've always sat down watched and sat up and watched counts and you know and then as I did started doing A-level politics you know it just kind of developed from there and I actually know what I'm talking about now hopefully and it's just at that point I realised, you know, young people do deserve to be heard because, you know, that is it's it that's the most important thing because it's us taking over the world. So, uh, you know, we need to be heard. So, and do you come from a not a political family, but would your family, your mum and dad, would would they have an interest in politics? Well, yeah, mum and dad definitely would. I think mum did a degree in history and the humanities. If you know, years ago, so she's always been interested in that, and so I was always brought up, you know, talking about politics. And Dad would always sit and, you know, debate with me for hours and end. And I think, you know, I never knew him, but my grandfather ran for election back in Portadown in the eighties. And you know, so we've, you know, we've always all been interested in politics, and I've grown up, grown up around, you know, the news and watching things and getting to know what, you know, Brexit. You know, whenever Brexit happened, you know, there was a massive discussion in my household between the three of us about how they were going to vote and how it was all going to work. Like, it was a massive thing for us. It's a pity this massive discussion didn't happen around Brexit before the actual vote just. <laughs> oh, I know, yeah. God, the idea of, you know, not planning what we were going to do before a referendum was a bit mental, you know, so everyone was voting for something on different for different reasons and we was voting for a different Brexit than we actually got. Mm -hmm. It just didn't work. Yeah, that's fascinating and um, listen, uh, it's so refreshing to be sitting here listening to somebody of 17 being or as articulate as you are, having an interest in, in your future and um, I, I really don't mean to be patronising but it honestly is because it gives me hope and I know um, anybody that's listening to this hopefully it'll, it'll give them a bit of hope as well. So tell me this, Dermot, how do you see politics? What's your image of politics in the north, first of all, and then in the south as we speak now? Well, in the north, it's, it's I suppose, as you said, a lot of stuffy old men in suits, but, you know, I suppose... Uh, Michelle O'Neill yeah. and <laughs> Naomi Long and Claire Billy won't like to hear you say that. No, no, but I mean, like, in terms of, you know, it is still, you know, we're, it's still kind of older people who... I'm, I'm definitely getting in trouble for saying this, but you know it's older people making decisions for young people. Like I know I, I, 
quite a few times have clashed whenever Peter Weir was Minister for Education, me and him clashed all the time and I ripped him to bits as much as I could because it was just, it was it was an older man making decisions for students and young people as a result, you know, we're the ones facing all of the problems. It's us who gets left to clean up the damage in 20 years time, like whenever it comes to the climate or education or, you know, it's... It, Give me an example of what you and Peter clashed over. Uh, exams, he refused. Whenever exams were cancelled, he wouldn't announce what the plans were What for our grades. I went on the top table with Stephen Nolan and roared over this about how he wouldn't. That's where I've seen your face from. <laughs> ah, the plot thickens. How did he get on with um, Mr Nolan, the biggest show in the country? Oh, it was great. You know, I was actually, I enjoyed it so much. We did that. We did that. And then the next morning I got a phone call to go on the radio. Now, I was in an online class at nine in the morning, not realising that I was going on to the radio and I just get a phone call. Dermot, I'm putting you through to Stephen Nolan here. So I went on there and had to, like, professionalise myself within about 20 seconds. <laughs> so, you know, it was actually really enjoyable and I've done Nolan Live and things since. So, you know, the whole kind of the Nolan train thing, is it's, it's actually, re- I really enjoy it, yeah. Listen, I know I'm flipping from subject to subject here, but as I say, we're having a conversation here just... You have no notes, I have no notes, so, you know, um, it's unscripted and unedited. Just on the whole Nolan thing, there, there's a train of thought out there that says Mr Nolan um, is a divisive character. He says that, you know, again, a train of thought that say that all he really does is, you know, add fuel to the already divided society that we live in. What's your thoughts on that? I think you're, it's... It's not entirely wrong, but it's not entirely right. Like, there's no one out there, I know just speaking from a young person's perspective, there is no organisation out there or no media group that will give the, gives the same voice to people as Stephen Nolan does with his shows. Like, no one will, ever, you know, you don't often, and I mean this with no disrespect to Mark Carruthers because I think he's brilliant, but you'd never see young people on The View or now maybe it's because it's a bit more highbrow with the you know the idea of political commentators but you very rarely you'd never see that you'd never see them on a lot of shows like that i think i think that's actually a very good point because in fairness to stephen nolan and the bbc the top table is predominantly for young people and while they have guests on politicians obviously they're older but it's given young people that voice so um a very valid point Dermot. yeah absolutely sorry just getting back to um what you and Peter Weir had a disagreement over. So it was about his lack of clarity, I suppose, um, around the whole exams being cancelled last year with uh, COVID and whatnot. So ultimately, did, did he respond to you or did he ignore you? He, I suppose, because we, I was like actually roaring at him in the studio and he more or less, he said that he was going to make an announcement the next week. The next week, there was no announcement. So then I fired out loads of emails and eventually we got one the week after. But it was, you know, he, he brushed it off and tried to, he was, like, I was enjoying it because he was kind of rattled a wee bit, but he was, he tried to brush it off and give it the old politician answer. So I just kept pushing at him and eventually we kind of, we got somewhere and got the announcement that we were going to get an announcement. So, so I suppose just come back to my question is your perception and experience of politics here in the North. Um, how do you think it needs to transform itself from your perspective as a 17-year-old and that of your friends? And I think it was Megan Furren, the old MLA for Nuri and Armagh, that said politics was too male, too pale and too stale. 
and you know we we need obviously to get more women in the assembly women aren't represented but we're also seeing the assembly's too old like there's a, there's only one MLA under 25 I think in Cara Hunter oh yes know. SDLP that's so right. like there's the assembly is old it's not you know there aren't young people it's not representative of society if it is all just kind of old middle class men and I suppose I'm, I'm just playing devil's advocate here obviously um, you know a lot of the political parties would say they would love to encourage younger people like yourself to get involved but you know what do they need to do to actively encourage you Derm? well I think some of them are doing really well and I'll give them that especially those with youth wings they are engaging and you know you get that with the likes of the SDLP, Sinn Féin, the Ulster Young Unionists, the, the Alliance Party I think and I'm not specifically targeting the DUP but the DUP haven't really you know they haven't done the whole social media thing they haven't done you know they haven't had a youth wing they don't engage really with young people you know if if the people who are running the country you know they want to know how to engage with young people then you just have to ask you actually have to go out you know go to schools or go to community groups and actually say you know what do you want to hear what do you want us to do you know actually get involved with youth groups you know there has to be a, you have to provide young people a platform to actually i suppose have their views because if you're not adopting policy for young people and you aren't actually finding out what young people want. You're not going to be representative, and you're not going to get the, the youth vote or youth vote. Sorry, eventually, whenever it rolls around. Where where you live, um, South Armagh, Dermot, obviously is just on uh, the so-called border. So I guess you have kind of nearly like a unique perspective of knowing what life's like here in the north and also in the south. What's your take on politics in the south at the minute? Well, the South, I actually, I find more interesting than up here because up here we're just we're divided into two tribes and there's no moving from it. Whereas in the South, they've got left and right politics. They've got actual normal real world politics. You know, you've got Fine Gael on the right. You've got you know Fianna Fáil more to the centre. You've got Sinn Féin on the left. You've got your PVP. You've got all of these different parties, and you know we all get to rip each other to bits over them. It's you know it's so much more interesting. But I think again, as much. Perhaps less so, you know, there's still a lot more of two male, two steel and two pale, you know, they are. I think there was somebody actually, I saw on Twitter one day that somebody said if you put all of, if you took all of the women TDs ever, you could still fit them inside the doll with plenty of seats to spur. Like that's, that's a problem and, you know, maybe I'm not the person to fix that, wanting to be a TD if I'm, you know, a male, but... You know, we are, you know, you've still, the, the doll's too old, as is, you know, the Shannad, perhaps less so than the North. You know, I think they've got a lot more younger people in there, but it is, it's too old. You know, we, we it is, it is a case, especially down there, of older men making our decisions, you know, older middle class men, you know, you need more working class people in politics. You know, we need to actually reach out to minorities. That, that is all of, you know, those are all the problems that I think are surrounding our politics. And it would be it would be brilliant for our politics if we actually kind of reached out to all of these communities and brought people together so it's actually representative. Mm -hmm. Very good. Just when we're I suppose talking about southern politics here, and it just came into my mind your location, South Armagh. Um, <clears throat> had you ever any dealings with um, Ian Marshall? Um, Ian, as I'm assuming our listeners will know, was a Northern Unionist, and he was appointed to the Senate. And then, quite recently, Michal Martin, in his reshuffle, um, excluded him. And I suppose, for me and others, that sent out the wrong message. 
And the reason why that was the wrong message, it was the only Northern Unionist voice in the Senate and for whatever thinking Michael Martin and his coalition government had, they decided to annex Ian. And, you know, it was so disappointing because, you know, we here in the Shared Ireland platform are all about giving everybody a voice, about trying to, you know, include everybody in our future and moving forward for a shared Ireland. And Michael Martin set up the Shared Island Unit. And I think it was so disappointing on that level alone. There's nothing shared about excluding the only Northern Unionist voice. Had you ever any interaction with um, Ian Marshall? I Gordon? never got to deal with uh, Ian, but you know, I I saw his. You know, he want he ran again in the by-election there, and I think some of the party supported them. And there was, I think, he joined the Ulster Unionists today. It was announced. Just seen a picture of him and Doug Beattie. Um, I think it was the Belfast Telegraph, the Irish News, or some of them saying that he's now um, an Ulster Unionist, and and that will be very interesting in next year's assembly elections to see how how I suppose he gets on. Yeah, it will. Like I think if he gets into the assembly, it'll, it'll kind of it'll break, it'll make waves. Like it, it is. He is a very, you know, he's a very competent voice. He's a very stable operator. Absolutely. He's always been very dynamic, and is, mm -hmm. you know, he's been, he was brilliant in the Shannon. And I know there's a lot of people that I would talk to would say, you know, it is very, it is a very big pity that Ian Marshall didn't get into the Shannon. Mm -hmm. Well, well, Ian, I hope he forgives me for saying this. As a, as a friend of Shared Ireland, and he's written a couple of articles for us. He's done at least two podcasts with us, and like Ian is an absolute gentleman. And we need more people like Ian in politics from all persuasions because, as you rightfully said, Dermot, he's very pragmatic, he's professional, he's courteous, he knows what he's talking about, and and he's he's the sort of person that we need that can break down, I suppose, these barriers that that unfortunately are still there. With um, and and like he, while he's older than you, he still is young enough to. Um, attract people of all age groups yeah oh yeah definitely he's you know i think him even being in the shannon and i know it, i don't want it to sound like he's a tick box or anything but he was you know it was a big deal him actually getting elected there for us to have a unionist in the shannon the idea of actually you know for a lot of unionists i spoke to i spoke to them about you know the idea of engaging with the doll of the shannon and you know they'd be completely opposed to it so i, th I thought it was actually it took a lot of courage for him, I suppose, coming from his community to actually do it. So I have a lot of respect for him in that sense. And I think it, it it's quite annoying and upsetting. And it, it is marginalising that Michal Martin did get rid of him. I just, I don't think that was the right move from Michal and Leo. Yeah, and Ian even, you know, <clears throat> has said himself that, you know, he did get a little bit of backlash from, from within his own community for going down to Dublin, as they would call it. Um, but, you know, Ian vocalised it very well that, you know, he was well received in Dublin and he made a lot of good friends and, you know, it was good for him to see and it was also good for the people in the South to see a Northern Unionist coming down that, you know, we all don't have horns, yeah. as they say. <laughs> Dermot, moving on slightly here about education and I know this is another passion of yours and in particular integrated education. What way were you educated? Well I went to a Catholic primary school and then I went to the Abbey in Newry which is a Catholic selective school and then I'm now studying St Coleman's in Newry which is another Catholic selective school. 
And, and what has brought integrated education? What has um, caught your interest about it and why? Well, I think it, it's something I've always kind of been in support of. I think it's it's something we need. It if we're If we're going to lack, you know, if we don't have it, Young people are going to always be entrenched in their tribes. We're never going to cross the divide. Right. We'll, we'll just focus on what you're only after saying there. That young people, if we don't have it, will always be entrenched in their division. Yeah. So, so basically, correct me if I'm wrong here, we kind of tend to live in separate housing estates here. We go to separate schools. And with the best will in the world, we're kind of nearly prevented by our peers and, and by society, by the way that it is designed from actually having any proper interaction with the other side of the community, for want of a better word. Is that correct? Yeah, oh yeah. Uh, it was, you know, I, as a result of me coming from a very, you know, I came from Catholic education and, you know, typically in, in Catholic communities, you're going to be more nationalist Republican. And it wasn't until I started getting involved in politics that I actually knew any Protestant young people. Like, that's a problem. And, you know, maybe I didn't do enough to, you know, reach across. You know, maybe that's on me. Well, you're only 17, but, so don't worry about it. But, I, you know, I didn't have the opportunities through school. Like, we did not have those opportunities. So if, if you were in a situation where you were constantly, you know, kept separate from, I suppose, the other side or mm. famines, yeah. as people would say... You know, you're you're not gonna reach across until you know you're possibly in uni or you're in your twenties and thirties. Like if that's the situation you're in, you know, it's it's never gonna be good for young people. And just when I hear you saying putting it, which is so true, when you go to university, that potentially for a lot of people will be the first time that you know they will be in the same classrooms, staying in the same accommodation potentially. You know, and and like you are in your late teens, early twenties. And like your your unfortunately your whole mindset is well developed at that stage, and we all with the best will in the world can nearly be stuck in our ways even at that early age. Oh yeah, definitely. Like you know, you're always going to see you know, people then as other. You know, they're not what you are, and if that's the situation, like that is like it's it means that you're a lot like like if you're waiting until you're you know your early twenties, late teens, you're not gonna put in the same effort to reach across because you, you, you've grown up, you know, possibly 20 years of they're different to you, don't talk to them. So, so just going back to the integrated education, so from the, dare I say, research that you've done and conversations you've had with other people that have attended integrated schools, what do you think is different about their opinions and outlook on life? than yours because you were not educated through that means well i think it's it's they were just kind of they grew up with more culture like in the sense that they got to see more of the kind of the spectrum of i suppose everyone's culture like i would have only grew up with you know what i came from whereas i wouldn't have experienced other people's like i know i have protestant friends in integrated education who play gaelic and you know would have a bit of irish and you know, would, you know, enjoy hurling and all of the kind of different aspects of, you know, Irish culture. Whereas I wouldn't be able to say the same for, you know, Ulster Scots culture or, you know, kind of coming from people from a Protestant background. I wouldn't have had those opportunities. Like, so I think they just, they have, I suppose they're, they're more well-rounded. Mm -hmm. 
and as a result, you know, it's 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 me that's suffering from that. It's not them, you know. They're they're getting to do more. They have more opportunities than I do mm -hmm. because I went to a segregated school, whereas they didn't. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, that, that, that's very interesting to hear you say that, and it makes an awful lot of sense when you hear you say it. You know, it's it, it, it's common sense. Um, do you see integrated education as the the way forward, or is there still room? for the current setup? I think it's definitely the way forward. Do I think it's radical enough? No. Well, I, you know, if it was up to me, we'd have in, almost entirely secular education mm -hmm. because I'm a big believer in, you know, kind of secular society. Mm -hmm. So I think for the, you know, the integrated education, it's the next step. You know, it's the step on that road to a, a more normalized society and moving away from being known as the kind of post-conflict society. From your experience, and again, I'm learning here every conversation I have with people on this particular subject, I was always under the belief that in integrated education there was no religion taught, but now I'm learning that there, there actually is periods or portions of the day or week set aside for different religions. Is that correct? I think, you know, from what I've heard it is, but they take a very different approach to religion class than we would, or, you know, and would have. We, in GCSE religion, were taught what we believe, and taught that this is right and this is wrong, mm -hmm. you know, whenever we did ethics and things like that. And I, had, obviously, I'm very opinionated, and I wouldn't, exa I wouldn't be the most religious person, so I always kind of clashed with that. But from what I've heard from people in integrated education, they look at things in an analytical view. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a lot more positive because it allows you to form your own beliefs mm -hmm. rather than this is what you believe. So so you're you're potentially given a series of stories, for want of a better word, and it's up to you then to make up your own mind whether, number one, you believe in them, and number two, whether you want them to be a part of your life, is that correct? Yeah, that's that's what I've, I suppose, grown to understand. You know, maybe I don't have the full picture, but that is what I've kind of learned. And I think if you you get to pick what you believe, and, you know, you do, you pick which of the bits, you know, you know, whereas you are just told this is, this is what you grew up with and this is what you'll continue to grow up with. So as a 17-year-old um, man, um, whenever you um, have children of your own, I guess this is a silly question, but it'll be integrated education for your future children, yeah? Oh yeah, definitely. Like I don't like for me, there was like segregated, you know, religious education isn't an option in my eyes. So integrated education, if you know, if I do have kids, is definitely the way forward. From in my opinion, fascinating stuff, Dermot. Okay, um, slight different subject here. What's required, Dermot, in your opinion, to create? A new shared Ireland? I think, as I said earlier about politics, it's outreach, and but in a different sense because what this is, it's very much outreach to a large community we're talking about. You know, you do, we are going to have to reach across to those that designate as other and unionist because with creating a shared island, you know, it there's you'll, you're going to get in the nationalist and republican communities people that are a lot more interested in it than. Know, than obviously those that designate as other or unionists. So it is very much a case of let's actually get everyone involved, let's hear what people want. How do we, as advocates of a new shared Ireland, encourage and invite unionist participation? I think 
I think it's a case of just like actually making it sound, you know, just just be like, I suppose, what do you want? Even for if you know if you want Northern Ireland to continue existing, what are the kind of things that you'd actually like, you know, in Northern Ireland and possibly a shared island, or you know, some kind of new Ireland? Like actually, just look at these things in a key, in a sense of what can we do to make society better? Like it, you, just all of those kind of conversations about what are the problems here what do you worry about you know in kind of the southern systems or the northern systems let's just actually figure out what's wrong i think from having conversations with the people and even you know being looking at life pragmatically myself you know what is important to me i think you know we have so much in common everybody from every tradition on this island you know like obviously healthcare i would say is number one on everybody's um chart on their to-do list because while while you're 17 I'm in my 50s and you know we all get older we're all unfortunately going to need um, a healthcare system that can provide us what we require free at the point of entry would be brilliant and properly funded and properly staffed so I think you know regardless of what our politics are or religious beliefs are we all have a common um, agreement that health is something that we will all need now and obviously moving forward, particularly where society, people are living older. Um, you know, and the NHS is allegedly the jewel in the crown of the, the union. But like, you know, well, and it's supposed to be free at the point of entry. And there's a few things I would say is just because something's free at the point of entry, if it's not fully functional and doesn't provide um is it just been free? Does that make it okay? Um, you know, we, we need to create something here that that we is works for everyone. And what's your opinion on, I suppose, private health insurance? What's your opinion on some sort of payment so that we can have a proper system that is fit for purpose? Well, I think, I suppose, we do. It has to be free at the point of access. I, I, I just disagree with the idea of not having that i think we do need our kind of nhs but it needs more money it just like it, it just needs more it is it isn't functioning it's under resourced it's underfunded we need just to be putting more money into it i think you know in the uk if if you can splash 14 billion on laser weapons and a space force we can put more money into the nhs like there shouldn't have been a ppe crisis like that shouldn't have happened but it did because we aren't funding these things enough we just need to put more money into the NHS. But, but like, you know, can there be a, a real genuine incentive for you and people of your age, Dermot, to go and have a career in medicine, whatever that guise of medicine may be, when even our nurses are not paid the similar amount to England, Scotland and Wales? You know, like on that basis alone, what incentive is there for our youth to actually get involved in the health sector? Oh, well, there's none if we're not paying nurses or if not paying doctors enough like you know you're gonna go you're gonna have to go through uni and yes you're gonna get your bursaries and there's gonna be a lot more you know support through university there for people you know doing you know more important I don't know not more important degrees but ones that are needed in the health care sector uh, but we, we, we need more money and we need to make sure that these people actually are paid so people are doing the degrees like you're not gonna go and go through uni for three or four years if at the end of the year you're going to say okay right I've got a, I've got a job you know you're going to walk into a job 
but you're not going to walk into a well-paying job possibly or you're not going to be able to properly support your family on that you're going and you're going to be working outrageous hours like it's not like being a nurse is an easy job where you tip in you know nine to three and have a week you know have you, you've got plenty of breaks and stuff it's it's a hard job like i know people who are nurses and you're put through the ringer whereas you know you just you need to incentivize these things through better wages better i suppose benefits things like that we just we need to kind of provide more for these people and maybe it sounds like i'm kind of magic money tree kind of thoughts but there are there are ways to fund these things and i don't know i suppose as, as you give the example about if i've got billions to spend on things that um you know you would say aren't as high up the priority list as as health um you know there's certainly always um you know when COVID hit all of a sudden there was 80 percent um, you know, wages for everybody while they were on furlough. So look at this money magically appeared. So you're right, there is always money there available if the will and desire is to actually put it where it's needed most. I suppose getting back to my question, what is required to create a new shared Ireland? So like obviously we're saying health is high up there. Um, we've, we've touched on education already. And I suppose housing, you know, um, housing for me, like a, if you go to Dublin, for example, you know, not alone can an ordinary young couple afford to buy a house, they can hardly even afford I mean, the housing crisis is, it's, I, I don't want to use the word mental, but it's mental. It is, you know, you go down, I've worked in Dublin and things, and the amount of visible homelessness is mad. You know, where I am actually, like, I, I labour to, build, to builders, so we're, you know, we're building apartments and stuff, and then you're thinking, oh great, this is, you know, this is going to be going, there's 20% going to social housing and things like that. And then, you know, a couple of days later, you'll find out that an American billionaire has bought it up. Mm -hmm. Like that's, you know, that's a direct problem with the whole system, you know, allowing billionaires to just go, okay, I'm going to buy a hundred houses here and half of them's going to remain derelict. You know, things like that just can't happen. We need to... We need to like we need cheaper housing and i know it's you know people are trying to figure out how to do it and i'm just you know another young lad saying okay let's build more houses but i'm even looking at university and i've always kind of wanted to study in dublin you know the idea of going to trinity or ucd has always been something that i've been really into mm -hmm. but i'm not gonna be able to afford to live down there like i'll be traveling every day because that's not like living in isn't an option like you're paying 800 quid a month for a shoebox with a mm -hmm. shared bathroom like mm -hmm. that's that's it's it's it is genuinely it's, it isn't an option like, so so how, how do we bring us to a stage further Dermot in your opinion you know what about a citizens assembly an all-island citizens assembly set up to discuss these subjects that we're speaking about and I suppose ultimately as I see it the benefit of that is then that with this research, with the inclusion of everybody, that we'll be able to plan and shape our future. Oh, well, it's it's definitely something needed. I mean, we've seen citizens' assemblies before. You know, you get them with a lot of, you know, a lot of the referendums and things that happen. You know, there'll have been a citizens' assembly beforehand. So why we're not doing that already, I don't get. Like, if we had that before Brexit, it would have been brilliant. Like, because we, we wouldn't have had the Brexit situation that lasted how many years now and is still going on. Like if we have that going into some kind of poll or, you know, just actually built in a new Ireland, then we actually, we, we can see what people want and then we can kind of create some kind of deal or some kind of plan or the white paper, I think it's being called, to actually kind of just have a better you know, country. 
like if if the place is livable, if uh, not just livable, but everyone's you know getting what they want. You know, we've got our healthcare system in a way that kind of serves people properly. We've got a, we've got a way to kind of get out of the housing crisis. We've got good education. Then that New Ireland or Shared Island will absolutely be some be something people are interested in if it is desirable to people like why would why wouldn't you want to see an Ireland that is more I suppose just livable and comfortable and enjoyable for people we can we could deal with the brain drain through doing that if we have a country that provides jobs and opportunities for young people and like it would it would just make things better if and if we know what people want and what they want that to look like then I I just I don't get why we wouldn't do that Okay, Dermot, uh, great chat so far. We're 37 minutes in here. Time to um, put in another wee topic here just. Um, now, this won't be the first thing that will have to be discussed. I appreciate that, but it will still have to be discussed in our new shared Ireland. Flags and anthems. Now, obviously, you're, by your own admission, you come from a nationalist background. Um, trying to look at life through someone else's lenses, as I have grown up, or growing older I should say has become more obvious to me because it gives you a better understanding of how somebody else and, and how they value their traditions so I suppose you know with a lot of people you know there'll be no compromise on the trickler and um, there'll be no compromise on, on on our anthem but you know coming from a PUL community's point of view obviously you know they see that as not being inclusive what's your thoughts and opinions on from your perspective, from your friends, and I suppose conversations that you've had with family and friends. I mean, for me, like I think it's all on the table. To be honest, I think if people really want, if people feel passionately about wanting a new flag, I say go for it. To be honest, if it's a case of getting rid of the anthem, I don't feel very much emotional connection to the you know throw on the vein. Though I know a lot of people do, and you know perhaps maybe I'm just not maybe I'm just too emotionless, but I think. <laughs> It, it's it's on the table in my opinion. I think it should be. I think if we want to actually create a shared island and one that people want to feel comfortable in, then absolutely things like all of the cultural issues that people find contentious, they have to be talked about mm -hmm. and you know considered and reconsidered, and we have to keep going over them until we find something that is you know a happy medium. So Dermot, I'd be fair to say that there can be no preconceived outcomes before any negotiation starts. Oh, well, definitely not. Like, we can't go in and say you're going to take this flag and you're going to take this anthem. Like, it's just, it's not going to work. It's not going to work for people and people aren't going to, people aren't going to feel comfortable. And it's just, like, that is just something that we can't, we can't do. If, if we want to go into negotiations, we have to negotiate with, in good faith. We have to do these things in which, in my opinion, everything is on the table so that people can feel comfortable in some kind of shared island or new island because that's what it's about it's you know we're sharing you know we are all together here we're trying to come together and build something that is better for people and works better for people so if you're if you're going in and saying you're going to take this flag and you're going to take this anthem people are instantly going to feel uncomfortable like people do feel uncomfortable about the tricolor and around the vein because they just because of connotations or because of what you know what they mean to them like that's not going to work for for any but for anybody in a in a new Ireland, if it is a case of you know being dictated to, like that just won't work. Are you optimistic about our future? Definitely, I think 
you know, especially with my generation, I'm, I'm not slagging off the older people, but I think, you know, if we're going to deliver this, it's going to work, uh, hopefully. And, you know, I, th I think it is. We can. We can make the, kind of the country work. And you have no plans of emigrating or nothing. Your plans would be to work here and grow, bring a family up here. I think so. Yeah, I think I'm gonna stay. You know, maybe unless you know, unless some amazing opportunity arrives, you know, over abroad, and there's just nothing like it over here. Like, I'll hopefully go travelling and maybe live abroad for a few years. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, you know, Ireland is home for me, and maybe it's not South Armagh, but. You know, I think it is. This is where I belong, and this is where I want to be in the future. And any thoughts of entering the political arena yourself? <laughs> well, every, everyone always tells me to do it, and any time I kind of do a media thing, it's a mix of telling me I'm ignorant and also telling me how I need to get up to Stormont or be brought down to the doll. So, you know, hopefully, maybe someday, either that or journalism, and just kind of, I want to make change, and I think that obviously politics is the best way to do that. So, hopefully. And if someone was to say to you, right, you can become an MLA or a TD tomorrow morning, which party would oh. you be inclined <laughs> to join or do you see the independent route as being a way forward? I think if it was a case of without having to worry about getting elected, like I think as much as you know, like being elected, getting actually elected is an important thing. So, you know, I think being an independent in that route isn't possible but if it's a case of actually getting to enter the doll or Stormont I think an independent would be the way I'd go I'd probably be leaning towards Sinn Féin or Alliance or maybe people before profit or in the south maybe the social democrats but I don't think anyone just aligns with me quite right for you know for that to be kind of if I could sit as an independent I would but I think you know I w if I was going to run or you know, maybe maybe there is a party out there for me, and I just haven't found it yet. But mm -hmm. I think that I think I think I'm better suited to be an independent. But I would probably lean towards you know you're in the north, you're Sinn Féin Alliance, and maybe Sinn Féin and the Social Democrats down south. Mm -hmm. Well, Dermot Hamill, it's been an absolute pleasure um, speaking to you today, uh, and I sincerely mean that. Um, hearing our youth uh, voice their opinion in. Uh, articulate manner that you're only after doing and seeing somebody that has so much passion about your future is I'll repeat really refreshing for me to hear and I'm going to ask you to make me a wee promise here um, because I, I think you're someone that has a lot to offer Will, would you consider coming on as I won't say regular contributor but somebody that will come on in the future and give us your thoughts and opinions as the months and years move on oh, well definitely yeah I'd love to love to be involved and in, you know in in the conversation so definitely like it's, it's something I'm interested in thank you well thank you very much Dermot and folks again um, I would like to just reiterate what I said at the start of this podcast please do not be afraid to put your thoughts and opinions forward contact us via DM or publicly um, on the Shared Ireland platform. We will always be open to hearing everyone's voices and opinions, even if they're not ones that we agree with. But that's the whole beauty about having a conversation, that we don't always have to agree. But I suppose as long as we can try to do so in a respectful manner, that's the basis for everything. So thank you for listening, folks, and um, we'll speak to you all soon. Take care. Bye-bye.